Oh God, we only had Corona. But our podcasts are growing exponentially, which yeah. is kind of appropriate. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday, July the 9th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Danish Sympathizer, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Super Vapio Cherry Picker. <laughs> I have to admit, I think everyone in Europe is a uh, Denmark Sympathizer right now. Isn't I it? think, well, yeah, everyone in mainland Europe, I think, pretty much. Mainland yeah, Europe, yeah. Yeah, 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 I think, yeah, I th- yeah. I think you can't, yeah, you'd be, you'd have to be pretty heartless not to feel for the Danes after all they've been through at the Euro 2020 tournament and you know having one of their players Christian Eriksen nearly died in the opening game and that's really yeah. not an exaggeration um, you know and then uh, they went on to the tournament played some really enjoyable entertaining football and then came a cropper in the semi-final against England largely because I mean I think they took the, they were playing very well and uh, scored a wonderful free kick but then after about an hour three of their best players were just had to sort of come off the pitch because they were exhausted because they'd flown back and forth to Azerbaijan the week before and it completely knocked them out so they ended up playing basically they they only had 10 players on the pitch by the end of the match and they only ended up they only ended up with four of the players that started the game so yeah a heroic effort and even nevertheless they still only went out basically because an England player dived for a penalty that yeah. was, uh, so I think, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to that actually in the sports section. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the English will put that penalty in the British Museum along with all the other stolen stuff. <laughs> exactly. Um. And the Elgin Marbles. Yeah, it's yeah. the Elgin Marbles of, uh, of of championship football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Just like, uh, wasn't it Arjen Robben who uh, forced a penalty once yeah. at the World Championship? Oh, yeah, I think so. more than once, actually, yeah. More than once, yeah. He was notorious for scrounging penalties by, uh, by going down very easily. Yeah, we upset many Mexicans uh, that yes, year, I that's think. that's right. Yeah. Yes, it was the Mexicans in, was that 2010? I think it was 2010. 2010, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah last-minute penalty. Yeah, during the finals, I was on holiday in Spain, which oh. wasn't the best location to be at <laughs> at that p- a particular moment, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, actually, I was stuck on an island in Spain, by the way, but that's a different story. Oh, right. Um, at least there was no pandemic on the time. No, that's right, that's yeah. right. It yeah. was code orange, though, Uh Oh, no, right. that's not right. It wasn't code orange. No, but it was it was a sea of orange. It was code orange for orange supporters. That, yeah. that might. I also yeah. saw a nice uh, meme on the internet of uh, a map of Europe uh, with the flag of England, which yeah. is white, uh, a white field with a red cross, and mm-hmm. uh, all the other countries had a Danish flag. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was a nice meme. Yeah, I think that that summarizes the. Um, uh, the general mood on continental Europe very well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the, 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 I saw a, a nice meme. There's a map of the UK with um, uh, with with Scotland renamed North Copenhagen, <laughs> <laughs> and Wales as West Copenhagen, which I think yeah. pretty much summed it up. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, and uh, speaking of uh, despicable individuals, uh, uh, Paul, uh, you've um, yeah, did you, you're, you've been one of many people to comment on uh, the uh, uh, quite startling uh, uh, change in uh, appearance of uh, our favourite uh, Ophef generator. 
Yeah, Thierry Baudet had a very uh, rough week uh, 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 the past seven days, I think. Uh, yeah. It all started on Saturday when he, you know, he has this YouTube series where he basically talks with uh, party members about stuff they find interesting. And it's all very, you know, they're, they're always confirming everything they're saying, right? It's uh, it's not yeah. a very critical show, naturally. Uh, but, but in it, he finally confessed that he uh, does not believe that 9-11 happened the way uh, the official story. Uh, story uh, says it happened oh dear. so yeah uh, yeah finally he also came out to closet as a 9-11 denier mm-hmm. uh, that was was on saturday and what was also very startling is what had that he had grown a mustache <laughs> a very <laughs> yes. very distinct mustache that yeah. um, uh, reminded a lot of people of back when porn wasn't uh, readily available <laughs> exactly. uh, on the internet yeah, the days before um, the internet the days before the internet, yeah. indeed. So that was uh, already very um, um, yeah, traumatizing, I think. Um, and then on, I think, Tuesday, um, farmers came to The Hague to protest again on the Malieveld, and he mm-hmm. was present there as well. He wanted to give a speech to the farmers uh, 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 protesting there, yeah. uh, but he demanded to do it in a um, uh, in a cherry picker. Yes. Yeah, th- he, he had placed a cherry picker right behind the podium, and he wanted to... Uh, stand on top of it and yeah. you know uh, yeah, no, 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 uh, rise. To, to talk talk down to the masses basically. Uh, talk down yeah. to yeah, the in masses, a very non-elitist yeah. way obviously in, yeah <laughs> indeed uh, i mean uh, uh, mussolini used a palace in in rome at least <laughs> but he was denied uh that the organization there said no this we're not going to do this and then he uh, started a, a rant on twitter about um, uh, that he was uh, not allowed to talk to to to, to the protesters, mm. and then he all of a sudden he was allowed, and then it, it wasn't allowed anymore. And at the end, he was allowed to say a few words on the podium. Um, and also, he he told one of the farmers that uh, he was the only ally of the farmers, and mm. that he uh, and that they are sending him away, even though before the farmers' protest started, uh, Form for Democracy had no agricultural vision whatsoever. There was not yeah. a word about farmers or agriculture in their party program, for example. Um, but what was um, also very interesting was that he had dressed up for this um, uh, for this protest. He <laughs> had, um, uh, how do you call that, an overall? Is that also an English Yeah, he was word? wearing overalls. Yeah, he was wearing... Um, he was wearing yeah, his blue overall. Yeah, yeah and, a, and, a, and a hat. And with that mustache, it all reminded everyone <laughs> of a sort of hellish uh, Super Mario uh, character. And yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people made jokes about that. And I dubbed him a Super Super Wapio. Yeah. Which I think is a very uh, very apt title. Yeah, so, indeed. And yeah. then the next day, it, it didn't stop there. He demanded, there was a debate on <laughs> Corona, and he yeah. demanded from one MP that she explain the entire plot of the Groundhog Day to him. He <laughs> uh, he really wanted that. She, she yeah. named Groundhog Day in her uh, in her speech, and, and he said, well, I don't know what that is. Can you explain it to me? I yes. only have chess.com, the chess.com app on my phone. I don't know what it is. And then she <laughs> gave a very terrible explanation about the f- actual film. But that, uh, yeah, and and then he started yelling up uh, uh, the name Hans all of a sudden in the yeah. debate. It was all f- very it weird. It was very weird, surreal. I've seen the clip of that going around, and it is honestly, it's like a sort of Samuel Beckett monologue. You know, just a man shouting yeah. into the void on his own. It's it's just the most surreal thing. Yeah, a few people have, in all seriousness, actually been questioning you know, whether he's um, he needs to take a bit of a break. Yeah. It's all, uh, but yeah, it, it's all, I don't know, very strange. And almost got to the point where, um, yeah, much as I think he's an utterly ridiculous figure, I'm actually feeling a bit uneasy ridiculing him too much because maybe there's something <laughs> more going on. But anyway, it was yeah. quite startling. 
It's uh, yeah. I mean, he he thrives on attention, of course, and yeah. in 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 some way, I always feel it's almost too tempting not to make fun of him and to pay attention to him and tweet about him. But on the other hand, you know that that is exactly what he wants. So yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. It's so, it's a balancing act. Yeah, yeah. It's but, a balancing but, but, act. I, th I think pointing out that he is essentially an absurd figure and is is valuable because then when he tries to be taken to switch switch it around and to, yeah. and demands to be taken seriously, you say no, actually, because last week you were behaving like an idiot. So, yeah, and you, and you and you say stuff about nine eleven that are yeah absolutely not true. Anyway, the, no body at all. I'm delighted to say in this week's opf. Uh, so what? So uh, uh, what is it? But, but but it was pretty absurd. So uh, what happened, Bol? <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty absurd indeed. This week's Ophef comes from Amsterdam, where on Monday hundreds of people got a text message from the uh, GGD, the local health board, saying that their vaccination appointment was cancelled. Many confused people shared screenshots of the very badly worded text message. It read that all jabs on July 31st and August 1st were cancelled because the vaccination location was unavailable. What was the reason why the location was unavailable, you ask? Because the NSDM wharf on the north side of Amsterdam was booked that weekend for a music festival. <laughs> that a music festival was given a higher priority than protecting people from a global pandemic naturally raised a lot of eyebrows. A spokesman of the Amsterdam GGD said the jabs were scheduled by accident and the slots shouldn't have been available that day. Ah, oh, that was uh, a problem. No, not the fact that they booked a music festival at a vaccine center. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, initially, the people who were texted uh, had to make a new appointment, but the GGD uh, backed down and arranged for them that they can get a vaccine at a different location in the city on their original date. But yeah, it's um, it seems to be a little bit of... Um, this seems to symbolize how uh, the government is handling this pandemic, right? Yeah, I they think a lot of people just said that this, this is a metaphor for the entire coronavirus strategy that basically yeah. putting on festivals and the whole, you know, uh, Dunson for Janssen meme that yeah. uh, Hugo de Jonge came up with uh, was epitomized by this, basically, that you're more interested in getting people out to venues and dancing and super spreading than actually protecting them with the vaccine. It was yeah. quite astonishing. And uh, yeah, as you say, it raised an awful lot of eyebrows. And I don't think I've seen the facepalm meme used in such high concentration, uh, got, I, I don't know, for, for a long time. Yeah, and, and this wasn't the first, uh, the only location where this happened, uh, because the uh, TT in Assen yeah. uh, is also uh, held at a vaccination location, or actually the other way around. And hmm. the TT, uh, uh, which is a... Um, uh, it's a, mot it a mo motorcycle race. Yeah. Motorcycle race, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but they, I don't know how they're doing. Are they going to tear down the tent where they have the vaccination and then have the race and then? Uh, I'm not later? entirely sure. I think they might be using it for the test for entry, actually, for the for the TT. Um, I dare that might be what they're doing, but not absolutely sure. I'm not uh, in regular touch with the GGD in Trento. <laughs> uh, no yeah so um it's all very uh, very mysterious and indeed it looks like uh, uh, a lot of uh, government organizations are uh, uh yeah putting festivals and uh and and, and uh, events on a higher priority than uh yeah vaccination so that's very worrying but we will hear about that more uh, later in the podcast this week, though, the shooting of a journalist in Amsterdam sent shockwaves around the world, as well as uh, the coronavirus figures uh, going shooting up. Max Verstappen continued his, his winning streak, and a royal bodyguard was accused of sleeping on the job. The shooting of crime reporter Peter R. de Vries in Amsterdam this week was described as an attack on democracy and freedom of the press. 
Flowers were laid at the spot in Leitzerdwastrad, where de Vries was shot in the head as he left a television studio on Tuesday evening. The 64-year-old journalist's family said he was fighting for his life in hospital. Three people were arrested later that night, suspected of being involved in the attack. King Willem-Alexander interrupted a state visit to Berlin to express his horror at the shooting. He said, quote, We are deeply upset and wish everyone close to him much strength in these difficult times. He also said, Journalists must be able to do their work freely and without being threatened. Prime Minister Mark Rutte, in a televised address, said it was an attack on a brave journalist and free journalism, and there were also reactions from leaders and journalist organisations around the world. The President of the European Parliament, David Sassoli, said it was an attack on the backbone of democracy, and the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists said, journalists in the EU must be able to investigate crime and corruption without fearing for their safety. Yeah, I don't think we can stress enough how well-known a figure Peter de Vries is in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, I if you're new think... to the Netherlands, you may not have heard of him, but everyone, I think, you know, well, well you know, the vast majority of people uh, are aware of who he is. He's, um, he's a frequent figure on talk shows. He's well-known for his history of uh, investigating a number of high-profile crime cases, um, as, we'll, yeah, as we'll come to soon. But So, yeah, it was a real shock. He was, he's, he's got such a... Uh, high public profile. Um, the fact that he was targeted in the street at, in kind of you know supper time, not like it was a late night yeah. uh, shooting down a dark alley. It was pretty it was crazy. Half past seven, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he he. Uh, I generally think that his name recognition is close to one hundred percent in the Netherlands. I think everyone will know him because he has such a history of cracking uh, high-profile cases. For example, he was involved, I think he he first became famous when he was involved, when he reported about the Heineken kidnapping uh, back in the 80s. Uh, uh, um, He was also um, instrumental in, for example, more recently, uh, 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 the solving of the murder of Nicky Verstappen, a young boy in Limburg uh, over 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, he's the sort of, a journalist who doesn't just report about these crimes, but when he decides to invest time and to report about it, he 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 he's like a pit bull. He he bites yeah. in it and he will never let go. Uh, Nicky Verstappen, I think in his uh, pro in his program, he spent 44 episodes on that murder case alone, and he mm. was always uh, in contact with uh, with the parents of this boy and uh, kept them updated on the latest development. And he was also instrumental in the final decision to um, uh, uh, have a mass DNA test in that area where that boy was uh, was 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 killed. And eventually, they found indeed uh, the murderer of him. And so, yeah, it, that's just one case. But I can I could go on and on and on about how important yeah. and how instrumental he was in solving so many crimes and yeah, also when definitely. when someone was accused um uh, unjustly or convicted unjustly he would um you know spend so much time effort in 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 getting uh, the real uh, criminals yeah. to justice and he was yeah. he was absolutely brilliant at digging out the actual hard facts as well he's kind of the antithesis in that sense to Maurice de Hond. yeah um, but he's uh, yeah he actually you know focused on the facts and just kept on as you say uh, going until he got got his answers um, and uh, I think maybe our international listeners may have, uh, especially in the States, may have heard of his name in connection with the disappearance of uh, the American tourist Natalie Holloway on yeah. uh, Aruba in the Caribbean. He was involved in the campaign to bring Joran van der Sloot, uh, who's uh, the main suspect in the case, uh, to, to justice, or at least get him to account for his you know, movements around the time of the, um, Natalie's disappearance, because I think uh, bodies never been found. Right? I just looked up the, um, the best-watched uh, TV episodes, t- uh, programs in the Netherlands ever. Do you what do you what do you think is number one? 
Um, number one of all time, I would imagine, was uh, the, probably the episode where De Vries actually confronted Iran uh, van der Sloot. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Nine million people in the Netherlands, yeah. which is more than half of the population, watched that episode where yeah. he confronted the uh, yeah, alleged murderer of Natalie Holloway. Just, just to give you an impression on how well-known and how uh, part of Dutch popular culture this this man is yeah and totally to i mean that's some numbers you get for a football match right and not to say any football no match, it's but more, the than, semi-final, more than more than the, more than, yeah. more than uh, uh, world cup finals yeah, yeah yeah this is this includes sport events yeah yeah yeah, so, astonishing. And you're so ahead, just imagine. I, I was thinking, is there a, an, is there a, a British or an American equivalent of of Peter de Vries in that country? I don't think there is, right? He is just he um, really is a one of a kind person. Yeah, I think there are one of. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's a guy whose face comes to mind. I can't think of his name. Um, if you can't remember his name, then he is not a Peter Edelfries. <laughs> He's not Peter Edelfries. <laughs> I've been away for a few years. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it also yeah. doesn't help that, I mean, Peter Edelfries, he, he, he uses this uh, this second letter, right, in his name. Yeah, P- yeah for famously. Peter he insists R- on having his middle initial uh, cited whenever his name is mentioned. And why is that the case? Because both Peter and de Vries are, are the most common names in the Netherlands. So you just yeah. need something to distinguish yourself <laughs> from all these out, other yeah. Peter de Vrieses in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, famously, famously, when he gave evidence at the trial of uh, Willem Holleder, um, uh, which is the, the case that was uh, prompted by Astrid Holleder's revelations about her brother, um, he insisted on being called Peter Air de Vries even yeah. when he was giving evidence. <laughs> and he got really upset when, yeah. I think, one of the prosecutors called him Peter de Vries. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. We, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Peter Air de Vries, it's just his name. I, I yeah understand him um but he is uh, yeah he's still fighting for his life i think that's that's a very positive sign because you know there were a lot of yeah. photos going around of him lying on the streets and from the look of it uh, uh, he appeared you know dead he, well uh, he was shot five times and at least once yeah. in the head so that's yeah obviously yeah your chances of surviving that are not great um and uh, yeah so i guess it is a positive sign that we're still hearing that he's fighting for his life yeah and also um the three suspects they were arrested within the hour after the shooting uh mm-hmm. it was a very quick response from the police pretty uh, quick what- work by the police yeah yeah um, they, they they were arrested two of them were arrested i think in a car um on the a4 motorway near leipzgadam which had been uh, tracked using um the overhead cameras um and uh, the telegraph named uh, two of the suspects as 21 year old delano hey from rotterdam and uh, camille a who is 35 and uh, lives in Maurich in Gelderland. Uh, he is suspected of being the gunman, uh, while Camille A is uh, supposedly originally from Poland and had only been living in Maurich, which is a village of about 4,000 people, for a couple of months. Uh, Polish media uh, said he was wanted for numerous offences of theft and street robbery. Uh, locals told the Gelderland newspaper that he'd been involved in an incident last week where he allegedly threatened a neighbour with a gun. Uh, Delano Hay, he's also said to be um, somebody who the police are quite familiar with. Um, so, yeah, it, it seems as if uh, yeah, be, you're guessing that these people are not the people who planned the operation, given no. how meticulously it was it was carried out. But nevertheless, they are the two suspects. And there's a third suspect. Um, those two have appeared in court and there's a third suspect who was arrested and has been released um, pending further inquiries. Yeah. And do we already know who is behind the attack? Well, I mean, Peter Air de Vries uh, wasn't short of enemies, uh, as no. we know. He's, he made his name covering the Heineken kidnapping, as we said. Uh, he later fell out with Willem Holleder uh, because he was involved in writing the script for a film adaptation of the kidnapping, and Holleder felt he should have got a cut of the money. 
uh, and he was uh, jailed a couple of years ago for giving death threats to De Vries. Uh, yeah. But the prime suspect is uh, Ridwan Tagi, who is um, one of the um, kingpins of what's known as the Mokro Mafia in the Netherlands. He's currently on trial in the Marengo case, uh, uh, accused of ordering 13 underworld killings, six of which were actually uh, carried out, or six, of, in any case, six people are dead, and he's accused of um, uh, ordering their assassinations. De Vries said uh, two years ago he'd been put on Taggy's hit list because he'd agreed to represent a key witness in Taggy's trial, which is uh, Namil Bey. Uh, Bey's lawyer, Dirk Viersum, and his brother have both been murdered by contract killers in the last three years. Taggy's lawyer, Ines Vesky, issues a strongly worded statement condemning the reporting of the attacks and said there was no evidence her client was involved. No, except that um, Dilano G, as the Telegraph reported last night as well, one, the, the, one of the two people that were arrested uh, on Tuesday, uh, is the nephew of one of the other people that are standing trial in the Marengo case. Uh, the, 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 the person who, was, uh, who allegedly uh, was uh, in charge of, uh, of delivering weapons to, uh, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the hitman. So, yeah. yeah, there is a strong connection and... Uh, everything points in the direction that uh, you know this attack was uh, was uh, carried out in there uh, by order of this uh, of this gang uh, a group of gangsters. But yeah, we we don't know yet. The police is very silent about it. So yeah. but this is this is at least what we um, yeah everything is speculation, of course. But we can we can safely assume, I think, that this is. Uh, uh, coming from this direction. Yeah, in the judicial sense, uh, there is no evidence because this only mm-hmm. happened a week ago and the police are still gathering evidence and taking statements. But yes, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's reasonable to say in a non, you know, in, 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 in a context where you're not trying to prove things beyond reasonable doubt that there's a very strong and well-grounded suspicion yeah. that uh, this is Taggy's, it's got Taggy's signature on it, the way the, the attack was yeah. carried out and the people who are involved. Yeah, he's the obvious person to, um, first first in line, when you're considering who might be behind this, and and of course just the fact that Peter de Vries is you know very high profile and has been involved in um, uh, in the case and has a lot of influence in public life, yeah. it makes sense and, that yeah. And we also have to point out that um, there are other crime reporters in the Netherlands who are also reporting about this case in particular, who um, also received death threats and uh, were offered uh, police protection uh, by the authorities. And um, uh, uh, n- notably, John van der Heuvel is, yeah. is, is, a, is, a, is a good example of that, who is also uh, yeah, heavily protected uh, 24 hours a day. And uh, Peter de Vries was, as you said, on one of these hit lists as well. And he was also offered protection, but he declined this. He said, no, I do not want uh, protection from the pol- police because that will limit, m- limit my uh, work as a crime reporter. I can no longer uh, keep in contact with uh, with my uh, sources in the underworld. So yeah. that was why he wasn't protected. He was offered that. Uh, he was also a regular uh, a guest on this program, Echo Boulevard, which is broadcasted from the Leidseplein in Amsterdam, in the, in the city center. Yeah. Um, you just have to turn on the TV and you know that he is there. So that's why the shooters knew that he was there because, you know, he was uh, on the show. Yeah. Um, and also, I have to say that Echo Boulevard, uh, their broadcast the other day was uh, was very nicely done. It was all in honor of, of Peter de Vries, who uh, is still uh, was still fighting for his life at that time, and they did a very mm-hmm. good job uh, uh, honoring him. I think. Um, but yeah, it's uh, hopefully he will uh, uh, he will get well uh, soon. But yeah, it's 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 looking bad. But uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, because he's not dead yet, it's it's also a positive sign. I think. 
yeah, well, we can only wish him and his family well and, uh, yeah, hope that uh, indeed uh, those responsible are brought to justice. From Asian News Now, and also this week, there isn't any. Mm. Uh, VVD leader Mark Rutte and D66 leader Sigrid Kaag were given the task by informateur Mariette Hamer to start sketching out a coalition agreement which can hopefully persuade other parties to finally start real negotiations to form a new cabinet, almost four months after the general elections in, in March 2021. Rutte and Kaag are working on that and haven't given us an update on their proceedings, but uh, they have uh, said before that they expect to need a few weeks. And Hamer said that she hopes formal negotiations can start before August 1st. Uh, Gordon, do you remember uh, when everyone in The Hague said it was very important to form a new government as quickly as possible? Yeah, wasn't that sort of like a march after the election? Like, Yeah, it, yeah, it was so also like part everyone, of the campaign, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we, we yeah. really need a, um, a government to be formed uh, to, 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 to manage the crisis. We can do the coalition agreement a bit later. Um, but they, they haven't formed a government or put together a coalition agreement so yeah so it's all going very terribly uh, ter- yeah excruciatingly slow but yeah. Uh, yeah on the other hand uh all economic forecasts show that um you know there isn't an actually a economic crisis coming up um, yeah uh, unemployment is uh, has not, is on an all-time low. Um, uh, the economy is expected to grow uh, over three and a half percent the coming uh, two years so yeah it's um um there's no real great sense of urgency, is there? I mean, it's no. not like there's a, a big national crisis uh, blowing up um, at the moment or anything. So why should we worry? But, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> except uh, the, the the pandemic, of course. But the uh, cabinet, when it resigned, it always said that they regard themselves uh, missionary. Yes. There's not a real... Uh, English equivalent for this, but yeah, that's not really. Uh, no, is that's, it uh, uh, unfortunately, yeah. that's the Dutch word. Uh, no, they, 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 they said they would they would behave as if they had a mandate. They the have a mandate, phrasing. yeah, on yeah. the pandemic, yeah. yeah. That's, but uh, but they are a missionary good. government, and uh, sure enough, we are getting screwed, as we'll discover later. But um, <laughs> there's also been some clear builders news, hasn't there? Yeah, the Dutch Supreme Court has upheld far-right MP Geert Wilders' conviction for group insult after he led a crowd in anti-Moroccan chanting at the local elections in 2014. Wilders was found guilty of group insult by the appeal court last September, but cleared of inciting hatred and discrimination. He wasn't given a sentence by either court. The Supreme Court ruled that Wilders had insulted a group of people with the same national roots, uh, that is, uh, Moroccan nationals who live in the Netherlands, and during the post-election meeting supporters in 2014, Wilders led the crowd in a chant of fewer, fewer, fewer after asking if they would prefer more or fewer Moroccans. A group of uh, 6,500 people filed formal complaints against the PVV leader following the minder minder remarks as they are known. Um, The Supreme Court said the form uh, in which Wilders made his statements was quote, unnecessarily offensive and exceeds the limits of the law and the basic principles of the democratic constitutional states, which should be observed by a politician. This means that the right uh, to freedom of expression does not preclude a conviction for group insult, the court said. Wilders said in a reaction that he would not take back his words and that he would not be silenced. He also described the court ruling as corrupt, because Wilders is uh, convinced that uh, then-Justice Minister Ivo Opstelt and other high-ranking ministerial officials were directly involved in the decision to prosecute him. The crime of uh, groepsbelediging, as it's called in Dutch, or group insult, means deliberately insulting a group of people because of their race, religion or conviction. Yeah, but this is, I think, the end now of this particular Wilders circus, isn't it? Because this is a Supreme Court judgment, so he's got nowhere else to go. 
Well, he can always go to Europe, to a yeah. European court. Uh, but Wilders said that uh, you know, it would be awkward for Geert Wilders, who wants the Netherlands <laughs> out of the European Union, to go to a European court. But, you know, uh, he is a master of, uh, of mental gymnastics. He's um, not a stranger to uh, hypocrisy, is he, really? That's, uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, but he uh, personally said that he doesn't think that is likely, but he uh, will wait the advice of his um, uh, lawyer um, uh, mm. to make a decision. But, you know, yeah, lawyers... Um, prefer to drag uh, <laughs> court cases as long as possible, right? Well, um, I do, but so does Kurt Wilders. I mean, he's been uh, going, he, running this case and the previous court case, um, the Fitner court case, for I think about a decade now. And it's, it's become uh, like a side yeah. hustle for him, really. I mean, he, I mean, in all seriousness, this has been, you know, he's been, he's been in court um, constantly on the go. He's had a case on the go uh, almost for as long as he's been um, a party leader um, in, uh, in the Binnenhof. Um, and uh, he's uh, yeah, the, he uses the court case to uh, to, to to raise funds, um, particularly abroad uh, from yep. from American think tanks. And That's because right. they're and because yeah. they're financing his legal fees and not his political activity, he doesn't have to declare it in the register of interests, which is a interesting little loophole that he's mm, been okay. quite adept in uh, in exploiting. So, ah, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, but but on, on, uh, after all of his convictions, he immediately said, "I'm going to appeal," and uh, this is the first time that he doesn't say it immediately after. So yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's the thing that changed here. Well, we'll see. Um, and in other political uh, court news of a different type, uh, the Binnenhof for Boeing is finally starting. Yeah, it's it's finally happening. Uh, <laughs> the Tweede Kamer closed its doors yesterday as the parliament summer recess started. Tweede Kamer chair Vera Bergkamp symbolically turned off the lights last night after the uh, parliament's last voting sessions. Uh, yeah which ran late into the night because they had over 200 items to vote on. After the summer, the Binnenhof complex will undergo a five and a half year long renovation, meaning that all its users has to move out temporarily. Uh, so that's not only the parliament, but also the Senate, the prime minister's office, his ministry, and also the Council of State. Um, and also, um, uh, 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 budget day will also not be oh, yeah. held on the Binnenhof for that's the true. coming six years. Um, Where's that going to be? Is that in the Grote Kerk again? Yeah, the next time will be Grote Kerk, but the Riddershaal was re- renovated mm. recently, so I don't think it it that need, it needs that much renovation. So I, I expect that they will just use the the Riddershaal uh, as soon as possible again uh, for yeah. for uh, Prinsjesdag, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, the start of the renovation marks the end of an endless stream of many years of ophef. Uh, there were fights between the Tweede Kamer and the project's architects who were sacked after their proposal included ridiculous ideas such as an indoor tropical garden. Uh, former Tweede Kamer chair Kodisha Arip was also displeased when it was decided that the renovation would be carried out in one go and not in phases. Uh, MPs were also unhappy with their temporary relocation. They will have to uh, move to the former foreign office building next to the Hague Central Station. Uh, which you <laughs> couldn't really call an upgrade. The new Tweede Kamer building looks like it was designed by Antoni Gaudi if he was born in Soviet Russia, <laughs> and its newly added entrance can best be described as a Star Wars universe version of a Donald Trump <laughs> casino. The new building includes an exact copy of the Parliament's chamber, uh, and they also added escalators to the new main entrance because we can't have a parliamentary complex in the Netherlands without ridiculously long escalators. No, that would just uh, be absurd. Yeah. Yeah, would be totally yeah. absurd. Yeah, you have to have shots of uh, politicians descending these uh, escalators very slowly well, yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, to introduce any item about them. Yeah, indeed. It was a week when the coronavirus infection numbers went through the roof. 
carried on into the stratosphere and mesosphere and crashed into a chain of Elon Musk satellites orbiting the Earth. Never mind skyrocketing figures, these are heading into another galaxy at warp speed. The raw figures are just bewildering. At the end of June, we were recording just around 600 new cases a day. Yesterday, which is Thursday, there were just under 5,500. The average number's increased by 250% in the last week, and it's still accelerating, and at the current rates will break the record for a single day of 13,000 cases on Sunday. The positive test rate was 3% a week ago, which is almost at the World Health Organization's target of 25 but it's now 7.1% and again climbing fast. The infections have been concentrated in cities, particularly student cities, which makes it pretty likely the spike has been triggered by letting thousands of mostly unvaccinated people pour into nightclubs. Who could have predicted that, huh? Yeah, who, yeah, who, who could have known this? Yeah, I mean, here's a few sample figures just to illustrate the, uh, what's happening. In Kroninger, which had one of the lowest infection rates until the end of June, they had 22 per 100,000 people per day. A week later, that number was 173, which is a 686% increase, and 13% of their tests were positive. In Utrecht, uh, it's gone up in a week from 25 cases per 100,000 to 110, and 12.9% are positive. And in Amsterdam, which had 34 cases uh, per 100,000 a week ago, yesterday it recorded 239, which is a 600% increase, and 17.4% of tests had a positive result. Yeah, it's... uh yeah it's eye-watering yeah yeah we uh we talked about this uh, uh club in enschede i believe last week yeah um you know the the test for Tugang, the uh, test for our entrance uh, system failed miserably and uh initially only people who have either fully vaccinated or had a negative test uh could go to a club or could go to um, a, a cafe, for example. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, that was how it's supposed to work, but that complete that system completely failed, either because uh, uh, the system was overburdened or people just uh, used uh, screenshots of other people to 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 uh, to get in. Yeah. Um, and this particular club in Enschede uh, had one third of its, I believe, what was it? I think 650 people, I think, um, yeah. had tickets for the night. Yeah. Yeah, and one third of them got uh, got a, t- a positive test uh, uh, somewhere in the, afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. And, um, you know, th- on the one hand, uh, the people who uh, are infected now are youngsters. Uh, so up to up to 30. These people are, of course, least likely to uh, to get into uh, uh, an IC or get into a hospital. But still, it's 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 a lot of people that are infected and a vaccine. Also, the people who are fully vaccinated, they don't have 100 uh, percent protected against the virus. So they can still get infected. And yeah. Uh, that's the worrying part. Uh, uh, we just don't want this uh, virus to be among us anymore. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's just uh, trying to. We've heard in the last few months people saying that at some point we'll have to live with the coronavirus, but they missed off the last bit, which you, yeah, we we can learn to live with the coronavirus in a fully vaccinated population. We don't have that. Forty yeah. percent of people are vaccinated, yeah. and you know we had this crazy situation of uh, you know Hugo de Jong has done some for Janssen, which I think should be carved on his headstone. <laughs> um, but the idea that people could just go straight from literally from the vaccination appointment yeah. straight into the nightclub when all the experts said that you have to wait two weeks. Yeah, it seems that. Um we are uh, uh, heading in a fourth wave now, aren't we? Yeah, I think technically this is the th- we could call this the third wave because the second wave just ran from September right through to April. 
and it had a few uh, yeah ripples along the way, but it was basically one continuous wave. Yeah, but I think yeah in in June we really got things. I mean, infections came down in June by eighty percent. We were doing exceptionally well, and yeah. now it's been completely screwed. We're back up to where we were at the start of June, yeah. and rising fast. So. So surely the government is going to bring in new measures. Well, yes, but I'm afraid if you thought you'd seen the last press conference with Mark Grutter and Hugo de Jonge um, and Irma, to, uh, to say that's a positive, uh, <laughs> but I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint you. Uh, the oh. cabinet is expected to bring in new measures. They'll announce it at a press conference on Friday evening. So as ever with this uh, podcast, all the news is happening after we've uh, recorded. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we've known we've known that new measures are coming in ever since Hugo de Jonge stood up in Parliament on Wednesday and said he wasn't planning to bring in any new measures. Hmm. But thankfully, he also consulted the outbreak management team, and they pointed out if things carry on the way they are, the Netherlands is going to turn deep red on the European travel map before the school holidays begin. And while de Jong is pretty relaxed about soaring infections, the prospect of having to tell people to cancel their campsite bookings in France and Spain was more than he could stomach. Yeah. So there will now be new measures. Um, what's going to happen? Well, as I say, we don't know, um, and we will know um, on Friday evening, uh, but uh, it's pretty certain nightclubs will close again because in utterly unshocking news, the testing for Tuchang system has turned out to be an utter failure. As we say, there's more than 200 cases linked to just that one nightclub in Enschede and lots of other uh, similar incidents in uh, particularly in Amsterdam and Groningen and uh, Utrecht and Rotterdam. Several venues have already said anyway they'll close voluntarily, so they're starting to take responsibility where the mm. government won't. Um, but of course, I mean, that's really unfair on them because if you close when there's no actual order to closure, then you're not going to get compensated. So the ones that do close get punished for picking up the slack um, where the government isn't uh, taking action. So the only fair thing is to order them all to shut and, uh, and pay them to stay shut. Outdoor public events are also likely to be scaled back. Um, perhaps um, restrictions again on group sizes in public and home visits. Um, I mean, we need stronger restrictions than the ones that uh, were in place uh, during June because uh, we're, we're racing back up uh, very fast. There hasn't been much talk about reintroducing face masks either, um, but that would seem a fairly uh, simple and uh, sense prudent measure at the moment. And I think the other measure that really should be announced is the resignation of Hugo de Jonge, who's proved himself repeatedly and definitively to be totally out of his depth as health minister. Yeah, yeah. And whenever people are starting to become you know, happy with him and uh, 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 the vaccination program is up to the steam, then uh, yeah, these sort of things happen. Yeah, yeah. What's the uh, situation in the hospitals? Because that's always the uh, you know main goal of all the measures to make sure that the uh, health system is not collapsing. What's the situation there? Yeah, that is a fair question because uh, yeah, the government's priority has always been to protect the health system and the vulnerable people. And it is true that three quarters of infections are in people under 30. Uh, it's also true that the number of people in hospital is at its lowest level right now since last September. We have fewer than 200 in hospital altogether and 90 in intensive care. Uh, but I mean, the, this rise in infections has happened so fast, it's had no time to translate into hospital admissions. I mean, typically they lag a week behind and this started just over a week ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw a rough estimate, I think, from one um, epidemiologist who said that uh, one in 100 under 30s who get COVID end up in hospital, perhaps it's one in 200. Which sounds, that's okay when you've got 600 infections a day, but if you have 5,000 and it's climbing yeah. fast, you can see that it's only a matter of time before people start streaming into the hospitals. And of course, infections are going to work through the population now and not everyone in the older age groups has been vaccinated. 
So any measures you take now will take about a week to have an impact on the numbers. This sharp upswing is now baked into the system for at least another week. So I will be pleasantly surprised if when we sit down to do this podcast next Friday, there's still fewer than a thousand people in hospital with coronavirus. How many people are now in hospital? 200. Uh, oh, 200. Yeah. It's, uh, we're going to have to uh, yeah, wait and see. And I also saw an estimation that the number of positive cases... Uh, tomorrow could be as high as 10,000 uh, if it went up with the rate as uh, yeah. as it was uh, the last week. So, uh, which is an enormous number. I think it's one of the highest numbers that we had since the start of the pandemic. So, well, I think if you keep going, it could be that by this time next week we have 30,000 cases a day. I mean, the thing is, yeah. it's going so fast that every day that you delay taking measures now is going to mean living with them for another week because we've yeah. got to wait for them to come back down again. So, they really need to start to do something drastic yesterday. Now that your weekend nights are about to be cancelled again and you won't be going on holiday this summer, there's never been a better time to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast. We can't promise to make sense of Hugo de Jong's COVID strategy or speed up the coalition process, but we will do our best to keep you informed of what's going catastrophically wrong along the way. And as a one of our valued patrons, you will of course get a shout out on the next podcast and the chance to ask us a question. We have one new patron to welcome this week, but they've asked to remain anonymous. Nevertheless, thank you very much indeed. You know who you are for your generous support. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would also be ashamed if, if I was giving <laughs> us money for doing this. I don't know why people give us money for, for, for sitting um, in blanket fortresses and talking, but I'm, I'm very, very delighted that they do. So yeah, indeed. Thank you and keep it up. Thank you very much. Yeah. If you'd like to sponsor the Dutch News Podcast, go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. A court has given the cabinet three months to show it is making an effort to repatriate five Dutch women from Kurdish prison camps in Syria so that they can attend their trials on terrorism charges in person. The women have been campaigning since 2018 for their cases to be dropped because they are not able to be in court, as is their right in Dutch law. The court said that the cabinet must be able to explain why repatriating them was not an option or face having the charges cancelled. This means that they could never face legal action in the Netherlands for their role with ISIS ever again. Eight other cases will be considered in detail at a later date. This has been going on for years, the women's lawyer André Seebrechts told NOS. The court ordered the state to bring them back years ago if possible and now seems as if the state has done nothing in all that time. The women are all suspected of being members of a terrorist organization and taking part in terrorist acts. The cabinet has always said it is too dangerous to bring the women back from the camps, but in June it did repatriate Ilham Bey from Gouda along with her two children so she can be put on trial. According to the latest figures from the IFVD security agency, there are some 30 Dutch women in two camps in northern Syria, with 75 children. However, ministers admitted on Tuesday that 15 Dutch women who joined ISIS forces during the Syrian civil war escaped from Kurdish detention camps in the past year. And Justice Minister Vert Rapperhaus told MPs last week that he cannot rule out more women uh, being repatriated. We look at it on a case-by-case basis, Rapperhaus said during a debate on the secret operation last month to bring back Ilham Bey. A majority of the Tweede Kamer prefers that the women will be tried in Syria itself or in an international tribunal, but Rapperhaus told MPs that it is unlikely that is going to happen, which means that a trial in the Netherlands is the last option. Yeah, and of course the sting in the tail is that if they're not brought back um, and face trial, there's a very good chance that the court will just equip them. 
because yeah, they haven't yeah. had the chance to give evidence. And then, of course, they can come back um, as free citizens. Yeah. Which if, if you're one of those people who thinks that that are worried about terrorism being re-imported to the Netherlands, is not actually what you want. So it's a real challenge for, for, for the ministers, how they square that circle. Yeah, and also, uh, I wasn't aware that uh, it is your right to appear in court. I always thought that the Netherlands was one of these few places that a conviction by absentia was a thing. You um, can, but I think the court has to be satisfied that you've you've taken every effort to actually produce the defendant first. Hmm, okay, yeah. yeah. By repatriating uh, this one woman, Ilham Bey, uh, from Syria, the, the government has showed that it is possible. So yeah, there's yeah. no reason for these other cases that uh, they can claim that uh, it is uh, too unsafe to do this. So they, they will have a tough time to uh, to square this, I think. Yeah. yeah, and it's a humanitarian issue as well, because I mean, the, the, the conditions that people are being held in, in these Kurdish camps are, you know, are pretty shocking. And, uh, some of them have got their children with them. So I think you know, the, 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 there is a case of bringing them back and putting them on trial. And then, if uh, if convicted, uh, they 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 see out their sentences in a in a Dutch prison. That seems to be the the civilized and just thing to do. But obviously, there are reasons why MPs are reluctant uh, to be seen as the people who are bringing back the the, the Syria Khangas. Max Verstappen said it was a joy to race at the Austrian Grand Prix at the weekend, and he brought plenty of joy to Dutch fans as well. Verstappen won his third race in a row on Sunday and stretches lead in the Drivers' Championship to 32 points. World champion Lewis Hamilton could only finish fourth, and he was overtaken in the closing stages by another British driver, Lando Norris. Last week it was nice to win with the team's home race here, but this was even better with all the Dutch fans, Verstappen said. Uh, and sure enough, it was a real kind of the pictures of this like sort of sea of orange with orange yeah. smoke um, were, were quite spectacular. Yeah, and uh, um, someone pointed out that you know we're, there's still a pandemic going on, and given that fact, it's uh, it's a little bit strange to see all these people packed together at that grandstand. But uh, nonetheless, it was a spectacular sight, and yeah, the entire circuit was uh, was covered in orange smoke by the uh, enormous amounts of smoke bombs they uh, they brought with them. So yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a spectacular sight indeed. Yeah, pretty extraordinary. Um, Hamilton said his Mercedes team would have to put in a lot of work to close the gap on Red Bull ahead of the next race, which is the British Grand Prix, and uh, that is next weekend. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, until now, the Austrian Grand Prix was always the uh, the home circuit of Max Verstappen, right? He yeah. drives for Red Bull, which is an Austrian team. Um, but yeah, luckily, we have a new uh, home circuit for Max Verstappen, which is Sandford. The start, yeah, I think the first weekend in September, the Dutch Grand Prix. Although you have to ask, if uh, if they don't get um, um, the the COVID cases buckled down, will it be able to go ahead? It will probably go ahead, but without uh, people on the grandstands, and that yeah. would be even better because uh, because you know Zandvoort is notoriously uh, you inaccessible, know, inaccessible indeed. So yeah, it would be better for everyone to uh, to just not allow any per, any people on on the circuit, yeah. and, uh, any audience, because everyone has to go by train. I mean, it's 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 or uh, bike. They want they want people to go by bike yeah yeah or to a motor um, racing circuit or do a survival uh, tour <laughs> over the beach and over the dunes in order to get there yeah you just drop your children right so you, this, yeah. this is like extreme dropping this, uh, exactly just, say, yeah. just leave them in the dunes and tell them to make their own way to Zunford. yeah i think yeah. uh i i i think yours for stopper will do this to uh, max as well <laughs> he'll just say yeah I drop you somewhere and uh, good luck finding it. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are very much looking forward to the uh, to the Sandford uh, Grand Prix. Yeah. And how are the Dutch uh, cyclists getting uh, on the Tour de France? Uh, are they still intoxicated or not? Uh, yeah, we're still we're still into, we're into week three now, um, or nearly into week three, should I say. Um, 
Mathieu van der Poel wore the yellow jersey for six days. Uh, very emotional, of course, because uh, he won the yellow jersey that his grandfather never quite managed to pull on. And he even managed to build up a lead of nearly four minutes in the first climbing stage on Saturday. But on Sunday, last year's winner, Tadej Pogacar, wrested it from his shoulders. And the following day, van der Poel announced he was packing up and going home. And that's mainly because he wants to prepare for the Tokyo Olympics later this month, where yeah. he's competing in the mountain bike event. Which no one will be able to uh, to watch. Yeah. No, but nevertheless, he's, he's competing in it. And meanwhile, um, the Dutch women are dominating the Giro Donne, which is the uh, the Tour of Italy. Uh, Mariana Foss has won two of the seven stages so far, and Anna van der Brechen is leading the race overall. So, the Dutch sporting triumph there. And the Netherlands is in the final of Euro 2020, right? Yes, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's very excited. Oh, yeah, I know, and quite surprised, I would think, as well, yeah. uh, given that uh, Orania were knocked out in the second round by the Czech Republic. Yeah. But the fans can console themselves that one Dutchman will be on the pitch in Sunday's final, and that's the referee, Bjorn Kaupers. Uh, he'll take charge of the match between Italy and England. It's a fourth match he's uh, refereed at what's expected to be his last major tournament. He's 48 years old, uh, so he's the oldest referee at the competition, but he's insisted he's extremely fit and hasn't ruled out carrying on after his summer holiday, if he gets one. Sounds like Donald Trump a little bit, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, bit. I'm the fittest uh, referee ever. Yeah, he, he passed all the tests by 300%, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other Dutch referee at Euro 2020, Danny Makali, will probably not be booking any weekend breaks in Copenhagen for a while <laughs> after Denmark lost 2-1 to England with the winning goal, as we discussed earlier, coming from a penalty, which Makali awarded after falling for Raheem Sterling's Schwalbe. Yeah, I hope that uh, he doesn't buy his hairspray in Copenhagen indeed because his haircut will be a, will be a mess after that. I, I imagine every time he steps out his front door now, there's a little pile of Lego bricks for him to step on <laughs> in the shape of the of the danish flag probably yeah, yeah so do we yeah. have any light news to round this podcast off because we really need some we really needed some light stuff <laughs> we were we were discussing what we're going to we needed a, a sick story and we're like well we're just going to find the most <laughs> irrelevant stories possible yeah. and we can we can talk uh, about that uh, i have two more i will just uh, cover that first uh, these two very small uh, stories the uh, world record uh, sand castle building was broken by a dutch person i believe in denmark oh, yeah. as well uh, yeah. yeah that was it uh, wasn't Danny Makali. No. <laughs> well, he was buried underneath it, I think. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is that uh, in Lelystad, I want to be an alderman in Lelystad now because they uh, uh, agreed that whenever a uh, debate is too lively and too um, fiery, they will bring in bitterballer. Uh, oh, great. in order to calm things down. And, yeah, uh, but that'll make things even hotter. That's right. And also <laughs> flammages will also be on the whole yeah. schaal. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's a nice way to um, turn a, a, a heat debate into a, into a fun drinking uh, event, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, that was the other uh, very lightly news. But yeah, let's go to the other, to the last uh, uh, segments at Castel uh, uh, Drakenstein. A former guard of Castel Drakenstein was cleared of charges that he had fallen asleep while on duty protecting Princess Beatrix's official residence. Another guard had filed an official complaint against his co-worker after he allegedly found him asleep after he heard snoring coming from a room with the lights <laughs> out. 
The man was suspended in March and three months later fired from the military police. The guard had to appear in a military court on charges of not paying attention. That was the actual charge while on duty. <laughs> um, the prosecutor said there had been rumors for years that the man uh, often took a nap during the night shift, but the judge dismissed that as proof. Uh, the court said it wasn't proof beyond reasonable doubt that the man was actually asleep, and it said in its ruling that it wasn't investigated properly enough if the resident, that is former Queen Beatrix, was actually in danger. It wasn't the first time royal guards got in trouble for misbehaving while on duty. In 2016, eight members of the Marechaussee were fired for stealing chocolate from a vending machine <laughs> in the royal stables in The Hague. And hopefully it was chocolate and not uh, yeah. Yeah, something produced by the horses. <laughs> yes, that's true. No, or they didn't steal anything. They weren't stealing fricadellum from the Faber Muir. <laughs> no, no, they would be hanged, drawn, and quartered for that. I, I think. think they would. Yeah, they, they would have their fingers cut off and yeah, uh, eaten and by the crowd. Ironically, yeah. many of the older horses would probably uh, uh, be in the fricandella that were stolen then. Yeah, I don't want to drag this uh, down again. But is is there is, it, is there a charge of not paying attention uh, for health ministers as well? Can, can we introduce that? I mean, really? Yeah, I think we should. The penalty for not paying attention for health minister would be a ban on uh, uh, on, on sunbathing, I think, yeah. and uh, dyeing your hair blonde. I think that you would wouldn't be allowed a, to buy shoes for the next two yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be an appropriate punishment. He, he would have he would have to wear sandals with socks or Crocs, yeah. whatever you want. As yeah. a, penalty yeah. and in other light news a gym in eindhoven was evacuated on thursday that doesn't sound light but it will be the owner had smelled gas and called the fire department reporting a gas leak after which 25 people present had to leave their stuff behind and evacuate immediately after hours of searching firefighters had to conclude there wasn't a gas leak but did acknowledge there was definitely a weird smell the group was allowed to return inside but on the condition that the gas tap remained shut and hours after the incident the owner opened a fridge and found a peculiar looking fruit inside which turned out to be a durian known for its terrible mm. smell and it immediately became clear that this was the origin of the terrible smell indeed it turned out that the owner's son was given the fruit as a practical joke and had accidentally left it in the gym's fridge the durian was thrown away as far as possible the eindhoven dagblad reported <laughs> yeah yeah durian are notorious i mean they're banned on trains i think in south korea because they're so notorious they're notorious foul smell this is absolutely true you're not allowed to oh, okay really or why you'd want to i don't know <laughs> I, I i i didn't know uh this existed so yeah i uh, i had to look it up and uh it yeah it's a shame they got rid of it because i'm sure the danish fans would like to put it in uh, danny mckinley's <laughs> fridge yeah and isn't this your favorite band uh durian durian <laughs> durian durian uh, no actually not but uh, yeah it's, it's the <laughs> musical equivalent of a durian yeah that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week. Tweede Kamerchair Vera Bergman symbolically turned off Bergkamp. the lights. Bergkamp. What did I say? You said Bergman. Oh. Uh, Tweede Kamerchair Vera Bergman. I also. Uh, you still said Bergman. Yeah. I, I wrote Bergmap. Bergmap. Uh, Bergmap. Yeah.
yeah, that, yeah. That's wrong. You, you 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 need to get that clip of uh, Jack von Kelder Bergkamp. shouting at yeah. Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, <laughs> it's Vera Bergkamp, right? Bergkamp, yeah, like yeah, Dennis. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's kind of so funny because whenever there's a story about Vera Bergkamp on and it goes up and blows up on Twitter, my Twitter yeah. um, like trending column always says uh, that there's a football story trending because <laughs> it still thinks it's Dennis Bergkamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Now this reminds me of of the of, of the of the of the Netherlands' worst football commentator, uh, Frank Snooks, who oh he's terrible, who, yeah, <laughs> he is he's awful, he's really terrible. And he uh, there was a guy sitting in the in a crowd at the at the match England versus Denmark, yeah. <laughs> and he all of a sudden said. <laughs> Is that Rain Rooney? And this guy just looked nothing like Rain Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> it, it I, say, been... I haven't been watching the Dutch coverage. I've been watching the Belgians because I just cannot stomach yeah, Frank Snooks. Much terrible. better, yeah, so, indeed. Yeah. yeah, but but he looked as much as uh, Rain Rooney as Vera Bergkamp <laughs> looks like uh, Dennis Bergkamp. So, That's all right. Um, okay. Where am uh, I? Here. You were at the second sentence. Yeah. <laughs> this this segment is taking longer than the Binhoff bowing. <laughs> um, 